Welcome to the Industrial Marketer Podcast, the podcast for industrial marketers by industrial marketers. I am one of your hosts, MJ Peters, and I am flying solo today. So today we have a very special guest. We have John Clipper, who is the CEO of Learned and the former head of digital growth for Halma PLC, which is a group of over 50 small to medium-sized manufacturing businesses. John, say hello. Hi, how's things? John, thanks for uh, joining us today. We are really excited to talk to you about how manufacturers can leverage digital innovation as part of their growth strategy. And just to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for having me. Um, I've spent life on both sides of the table, if you will, with IoT and digital. So I've spent some time in some technology companies like Cisco, uh, looking after one of their IoT software businesses. Uh, in a, a startup uh, called Relayer uh, that was uh, actually providing digitization and, and IoT uh, software for industrial uh, companies. So interesting for today. As you said, at Halma, then kind of switched to the other side. So in an industrial group of companies, uh, you know, working on how we do digital growth and those things. And then very recently uh, moved to found uh, with my co-founder a business called Learned, which is looking at changing the way that buildings uh, are managed really trying to marry the two worlds of uh, buildings and the way that they're, they're run efficiently and, and productively uh, with IoT and digital. So really digitizing the buildings industry. What stood out to you in particular about the buildings industry that made you want to attack that as a possible area where we need some innovation? I think it's really interesting. I actually started my career in the buildings industry and spent five or so years helping customers, both large and small, to you know, really do something different with their buildings. And I think, you know, back then it was really around how do we get buildings to run more effectively and and efficiently and how do we, you know, use less energy and create less carbon. I think what I see as the next step, and we're we're calling it building four, just like industry four, is really the step to say driving outcomes and and how do we, you know, get to a place where, uh, you know, nobody really wants buildings. You know, hospitals only exist because that's the easiest way to make sick people better. So, running buildings just because they're there makes no sense. We should be saying, what are you trying to achieve with this building? What's your organizational output? And then we'll change the way that maintenance and all of those different services are done to actually align directly so people's buildings are doing what they need as an organization rather than just buildings for building's sake. So it's an exciting journey. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about digital innovation in particular when it comes to buildings. What what comes to mind particularly for me is all of the move to e-commerce and being able to do so many things remotely that it seems like the role of buildings is going to change in society as a whole in a big way. Completely agree. I mean, I think through the, the past few months, we've seen that there's a massive change um, and people just can't go on you know, having offices just because they've always had offices. I think there's there's always going to be a place for, for buildings. The big challenge you have uh, is just this complete string of broken promises in the buildings industry. You know, so many software startups have said, look, we can take your data and tell you how to change your building and, you know, the best way to keep your employees happy and all of those things. But fundamentally, every building is different. You know, they're, they're geographically dispersed. It's super hard to actually do anything in that. And, and that's what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, we're being acquisitive to actually build the largest field uh, resource in terms of engineering uh, in the UK initially. Um, and then from there, we'll say, well, look, you know, we can do all this cool stuff and show you how you can make your building better. But actually, then we can come and do it. And we're, we're there when you need it. 
yeah, that'll be a really interesting journey to watch. And I know you've only just kind of gotten started on that. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, one thing that stands out about your background, which is why I wanted to have you on the show to talk to some of our listeners, is that you've had a lot of experience helping more traditional companies branch out with IoT and digital products. And you've been on the other side of things selling IoT and digital products to more traditional companies. Can you tell us a little bit about what that has been like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is really interesting having been on both sides of that. I think the first thing to say is there's just such a vast difference in, in where organizations are on their journey. And I think even before actually looking and saying, you know, we're at this stage, or, you know, we're early or we're, we're, we're pretty pretty well developed, is actually why are organizations going on this journey? And I think that there's a, there's a whole host of organizations these days that are doing it for survival. Um, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk around, you know, why the, the the market's really changing to ask more from these businesses. But I think there's also on the other side, lots of people saying, we're fine, we're going we're gonna to survive. But we see there's a massive opportunity to, you know, really go and maybe create a new market or, or move into something. So I think the reasons is very different where people are. I think that and I'll touch on this, you know, a number of times. I, I think the biggest thing is everybody has this transformational opportunity. I think that the challenge that I see probably more than anything is people not jumping in, you know, and people saying, actually, I'll invest in this digital thing right up until the point where I can back away. Um, and I think that's not the way you can approach this. I think it's it's really foundational to a business. It's the very, very top of the organization that must change this. So there's, uh, there's a lot of commonalities, but then obviously every organization is different. So there's a lot of differences as well. Yeah, so it sounds like you picked out two different types of companies in terms of where they are in the digital transformation landscape. And one of those is companies that are fighting for survival because they are being made obsolete by new players that are fully digitally native. And then on the other hand, companies that are still sustainable regardless of digital transformation. However, they have an opportunity to be the disruptor in the market. Can you tell us, kind of give us an example of each of those types of companies to illustrate what what could be happening and what could be changing in the landscape for, for people that maybe haven't experienced it yet firsthand? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think one of the comments is, uh, you know, if we're talking B2B uh, businesses, you know, th th there seems to be a lag behind in, in digital adoption compared to the consumer. I think that that's that's no surprise. You know, but if I can go into my home and change my thermostat uh, you know, to, to add a heat or cool my home from my phone and I have smart lights and, you know, my kids have toys that have apps and all those things. And then you go into your business and you say, well, you know, why am I still taking memory cards out of these devices? What, why does the batteries keep failing? And I don't know about it in advance. You know, all of these things just, just completely don't, don't gel that you can afford that in your home, but you can't have it in your business. So I think there's a lot of those, you know, you might look in the medical sector, maybe, uh, you know, things that are in primary care. You know, is it really acceptable anymore to be doing things by hand, writing lists and, you know, recording diaries like that? You'd never, You'd never do that at home. You'd use your smartphone, right? So I think there's a lot of those businesses that you go, it actually becomes a hygiene factor. And if you don't have it, I'm not saying you can actually sell, sell it for any more money, but if you don't have it, your competitors will and, and you'll you know, kind of you know, go back. I think if you look at the other side, which is people um, you know, tr trying to disrupt themselves or create uh, new opportunities, 
you know, one of the examples springs to mind is, you know, in the coffee machine, the, the high end, you know, espresso machine market. And, and actually, if you have a certain level of that market and you say, well, we're in the top 5%, you know, if you can change your business model by moving to as a service or going digital or however that works, you actually grow your total addressable market and you suddenly create blue ocean. You know, you've got that space that you can go and sell into this product that wouldn't normally fit in there. Everybody wants it. Suddenly they can afford it. And, and you've just basically doubled the size of your business overnight because you do the same thing in a different way. So I think there's, there's lots of examples of each, but I think that hygiene factor is really important. Absolutely. One thing that really stands out to me is it seems like there's been a lot of digital innovation on the business to consumer side of things and maybe a lot less so in terms of business to business. However, if you look at the industrial scale of things, you know, and how much of an impact you could make by digitizing a product that, let's say, you know, helps improve efficiency on the electric grid, the magnitude of the impact you can have on society is just enormous. So, you know, from your perspective, why do you think that exploring digital product offerings is really important for B2B and industrial companies right now? Well, I think I think it's super important. I think, you know, to your point, I think there's a really clear reason why people will, you know, go and put a smart thermostat in the house, but then that their office, you know, doesn't have that and you still have to walk to the wall and change the thermostat. I think that's because you're willing to take a lot more risk in, in your consumer life um, than you are in, in a building. You know, if you have a let's say a hospital and you know it's too cold, well you you've got a massive problem with your patients. If your you know your thermostat at home goes offline, you're a bit cold. You know, so I think it's you know there's there's a lot of good reasons for that, and I think you're exactly right that in 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 industry there's there's massive opportunity uh, to go and change the way things are. But I think there's so many people out there saying they can do things and they can't. You know, one of the things I experience uh, learned is you know trying to cut through with our marketing to actually say, guys, we can actually deliver this, and 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 all these other people can't. And people go, well, of course you'd say that. You know, so I think there's actually uh, a lot of opportunity that goes missed by uh, B2B companies and industrials um, because either the customers don't believe that they can do what they say they can do, or maybe they don't believe they can say they do. And they go, well, if we promise that and we don't deliver it, then we've got a massive risk. And actually, it's actually just much, much easier to sell in the normal way. So I think it really comes down to that robustness and also the concept of risk, much less risk appetite in a B2B business than you know selling something to a consumer that doesn't really have an impact if it fails. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point there, which is that when it comes to B2B, it's much easier said than done when we talk yes. about delivering an actual digital transformation, which is a great segue. I kind of want to shift gears into some of your kind of hands-on experience helping B2B companies actually deliver this and not just talk about it. So just to start us off here, can you compare what it's like to build and launch a digital product versus building and launching a physical product? Because I think B2B industrial companies are very used to this process of building and launching physical products. In your opinion, and from what you've seen, what are some of the key differences in that process and what are some of the similarities? I, I think the differences, I think that they're, you know, they're, they're very common um, when you actually see you know, typically market leaders as well. You know, you've got fantastic brand names, really specialist in the market, and then they go and adopt digital and say, I'm going to do this in a very strange way. And I think, you know, you've got to look at, uh, you know, the, the very broad term of digital in terms of saying, well, this is a whole new skill set. You know, it's not just 
we digitize a product, you know, that might be phase one. But actually what we're saying here is there's a reason we're doing it. What's that strategic vision? Um, and let's go and do this in a way that probably changes everything. You know, the way that we sell, how we sell, how we finance, cash flow, revenue recognition, the whole thing. So I think you've got to have this, uh, you know, this concept of this is something different. This isn't just a, a new kind of hardware product. And, you know, what I just said there about aligning with the strategic vision it's probably very rare that companies go and launch you know, a new product line and it's tied so directly to the long-term future of the company. And you know, right from the top, whether that's you know, the board or the shareholders, the strategic direction. So I think you know, understanding that's a whole new skill set and looking at not just your technical skill set, but also sales, how do you support it and those things. Um, I think the second thing would be testing. People are normally pretty comfortable with, you know, we launch a product, we get approvals, we do some robustness testing, all those things. This is very different. You know, how does it work? How is resilience of uptime? What do we need that to be? So, again, a different skill set. And wrapping those two things together, one of the, the things that, you know, still amazes me is industrial companies are so used to saying, this is our core. You know, we are subject matter experts in, you know, CNC milling. We are experts in fire, you know, whatever you're experts in. And where products go outside of that, they'll look to partner. So they might not manufacture their own plastic casings. They might not design their own website. But suddenly when it comes to digital, everybody tries to do it themselves. And I think that that's really, uh, you know, never ceases to amaze me really of, you know, why would you take on digital, which is super hard, when you would never dream of doing that somewhere else outside your core? So I think, you know, they're the differences you've got to think of, including in that the fact that you never finish. So digital is a living thing and you can't just put a budget together and say, I've created that, it's done. You know, you've really got to look at the budgets. Um, in terms of similarities, I think, you know, the same rules apply, you know, customer at the center of everything and really focusing on the customer problems, not trying to test solutions with them day one. You know, what we're doing in digital, just like any other product, uh, has to fix a customer problem. Otherwise, you're clearly not going to, you know, you're not, you're not going to do that. And, you know, in, in parallel to my earlier comment of don't try and do everything yourself, remain the subject matter expert you know the best thing about leading industrials is they have a vast history and a you know great reputation in doing something very well so don't lose that you know be proud to be that subject matter expert but get help where you can in digital um and i think that the final thing is you know just like any new product sales and go to market um and marketing you know, right at the front of that has to be front and center. You know, we've got to ask the same questions. Do we have the right people? Can they sell this? Is it a good route to market? I think sometimes people think it's so new, none of the rules of actually getting to your customer reply, whereas it's just much more important because it's, you know, it's harder, it's a more complex message. But I think sales and marketing is, is as important, if not more, than, than any non-digital product. Yeah, it's interesting. On this show, we talk a lot about marketing, industrial marketing, a lot of communications and demand gen stuff, which I think is new for a lot of industrial companies, just the same way that developing digital products is new. Yeah. And one of the problems that I think people run into when it comes to partnering, which is something that you described as really important, right? Don't try to build everything yourself when it's so far outside your core competency. But it, it's very difficult to identify really good partners and 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 know who's offering real value and who's kind of selling you snake oil when it comes to these new landscapes. What advice do you have for manufacturers to build successful partnerships with companies that can help them take their digital innovation to the next level? I think the, the first thing is to engage with partners at the right time. 
you know, time and time again on both sides of the table. Um, you know, I've, I've really seen companies part, trying to partner far too early. You know, so they're not even clear on their strategic vision. You know, they've heard this digital thing. It must be important because everybody else is doing it. You know, the, the customers are asking them, do you have an app? And, you know, these kind of anecdotal things, and they're already trying to partner. You know, there is no way any partner is going to be able to help you at that point because they don't even know why you're doing what you're doing, never mind what, what you want to do. So I think partner, and it's, it's probably the opposite advice to what people expect, but partner late, you know, understand where do you need to take this business? Why is digital important to you? The answer might be it's not. You know, it's perfectly okay to look at a manufacturing business and go, actually, not now. You know, we're, we're absolutely fine with our current strategy. But if, if digital and digitizing products and changing business models seems important, understand where you want to get to. Understand, as the subject matter expert, what does that mean? You know, so what would the customer buy? Keep it really simple. You know, what do they need to buy? How do they consume it? When do they consume it? All those things that we do with any product and then look for partners. And I think if you go to partners with that clarity, they can really help you. And what you'll find is the people that will actually engage in that first conversation intelligently are actually probably the good people. So I think that that's that's the number one mistake people make is they try and partner before they know what they want. Um, and I, I think the second thing is really, and this isn't always possible, but if you can find a partner that will come on the journey with you, I think that's where I would go. You know, somebody who says, yeah, there's always going to be upfront costs and, you know, nobody expects people to work for free. But I think the really key thing here is if you can find a partner that says, yes, let's let's do a contract. But actually, you're saying that by moving to an as a service model, for example, you can create this recurring revenue stream. Why don't we take 5% of that? You know, so you know that the partner really only wins if you succeed. And therefore, they're aligned with you on that. And that will, again, that will completely take out a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the snake oil providers, if you will, who are saying, no, you know, why would I do that? Because actually, I can't, I know it'll fail. So you really get some commitment there. And there are a few people out there that do that. But I think even if you can't, just being super clear on what you need, you know, having a very, very rough kind of bubble that says, well, this is where we'll play because we're the subject matter expert. And these are the bits that we need a partner for will you know, accelerate you uh, tremendously at that point. So we talked a little bit about what you should go outside to find and how you can be successful in going outside to find it through partnership. I'd, I'd like to also get your take on what are the internal capabilities that manufacturers need to build up or have before they're able to identify a digital product opportunity, build it and launch it successfully. And do you perceive across the market today that manufacturers already have these capabilities internally, or is it is it an area where they need to focus to build internal capabilities? I think it's a it's a really interesting question because well, most people, not everybody, but most people jump straight to how do we build it? You know, we're we're, we're going to put a SIM card in there, we're going to put some wireless technology in, we're going to have an app, you know, a dashboard or whatever this is, and immediately jump into how do we get the skill sets to build that? And I think that that's, of course, part of it. But what's really important, and I think this is where you know, certainly leading manufacturers are very, very strong, is understand how your customer wants to consume that. You, know, you can build the best thing in the world, but if it's too expensive for your customer or it's not the right time in the life cycle or whatever that is, it could be the best product that'll sit on the shelf. So I think it's around you know, going back to basics and saying, what is it the customer wants? So what problem are we solving? What's the benefit that we're driving? You know, th there's a lot of times that you know, product manufacturers 
can you're so used to making a great product and then you know putting it in a box and it leaves the factory and that's the last they ever see of it and they've never been involved in actually delivering the value so their product creates value but it's always somebody else that actually delivers it they just put the product in a box and ship it what digital means typically for manufacturers is you're now somehow responsible for driving that outcome so it's very different so you say well actually how does my customer consume this oh wow well i need to go and help them set it up but we don't have any people to help them set it up or they're going to call me and say this and we don't have a call center so there's loads of things that are really close to the existing business that kind of need thinking about before you'd ever think about building a product or coding some software or things like that so i think it's day in the life of a customer you know the usual things that, that we all do but understand okay i build this great thing how do people get the value you know i'm saying it's all about this great thing that's going to happen for them you know how does that really get there so i think that's the first one is, is really understand all the component parts and not just technically you know what's the business model how do customers finance it how do we sell it if we have a channel route to market how, how does that work you know it, it's very complex but i think the second thing is actually looking at business models you know, there's a lot of experience in manufacturers of, you know, how they go to market in partnership with the channel, maybe how they do innovative financing so customers can, you know, lease things or, you know, all, all of those things are you know, very, very good. And, and most, you know, finance directors or, or CFOs in, in businesses, you know, are used to that. And I think then it's around saying, well, what business model do we need? You know, so one of the biggest things that I see as a mistake is manufacturers go, we need to move to uh, something different because you know every fiscal year we start at zero. You know we have to go and sell so many machines, and we have to go and sell so many systems, and we need this recurring revenue. And then what they do is they find it so hard to get recurring revenue from the customer. They actually build digital products that have ongoing costs to support platforms, and then they go and sell them at a one you know point price that they sell in time. So they've actually made the problem worse. So I think it's also around saying this is what my customer wants. How does this work for us as a business? And then we can go and see what we don't understand, which is maybe, you know, technical delivery and those things. But, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that most manufacturers are, are very, very good at what they do. They're great businesses. They have great people. So use that. You know, don't lose sight of the competencies that you have already. So a topic that you've brought up multiple times, which I can tell you're pretty passionate about and you believe strongly is important for manufacturers to have an understanding of when they're building digital products is the business model. And I'm wondering, because I get the sense that a lot of people that work in manufacturing companies today understand their business model, but might not understand how to innovate a business model. How did you learn how to understand, conceptualize, and innovate on business models? And what advice would you give to somebody working in a manufacturing company today that wanted to build up that competency for themselves? I think the, the easiest tool <clears throat> that, that I use to, to you know, see if we're missing a trick, really, in these things is, you know, draw some boxes on a flip chart of all the people that are involved, right from you, you know, maybe even your suppliers as the manufacturer, right the way through to the end customer. And it might be their customer, you know, so the customer's customer. Um, and, and you'll find, firstly, there's typically more boxes than you expect because you have distribution, you have channel partners, you have service partners. So there's actually a lot of people. And then I think it's really important to go, well, Where's the actual benefit of this that I'm selling? So I'm, I'm you know, my product should do something good for somebody in there. Where's the benefit? And then I think when you look at uh, that, you know, it's typically the, either the very end customer or, or somebody in the middle. You say, well, where are the benefits for the other people? Why are those other people involved? Because nobody's doing this for, for charity typically. So why are those people involved? I'll give you a really good example of this. So <clears throat> I sat with a, an espresso machine manufacturer, the, the, the one that I mentioned earlier. 
Um, and, you know, they originally thought what we'll do is we'll put SIM cards in our machines and we'll be able to do predictive maintenance. You know, so really classic, we're a manufacturer, let's make our product better. Well, let's get some data from it. Cool, all good. Then they realized, well, that's going to be a lot of cost for us. And where does the money come from? You know, who's going to pay for me to make a better machine? Because actually, they're the market leader. They make great machines already, so they don't break. So they go, well, there's no real benefit for the customer here. There's just a lot of cost. And by doing that exercise that I just explained, what they realized is they're uh, the coffee shops. You know, so the, the 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 coffee shops themselves don't actually buy their product. That's not where the money comes from. It's actually the the roasters. So the coffee bean roasters are the ones that buy the coffee machines, and they give them very cheaply or somehow lease them to the coffee shops on the understanding that they buy their beans. So you say, look, I'll give it you cheap, but you've got to buy my brand of coffee bean, and presumably at a, at a good price for me. And what happens? We find out is that the coffee roasters have a big problem. And that problem is that people buy one bag of their beans and five bags of the cheaper beans from down the road. And as long as they you know, play the game okay, nobody really realizes. So they realize that by putting this technology into their machines, they can actually tell how many espressos made. And then they can sell that data to the uh, coffee roaster, who can then police the whole thing. And they find that they could create a brand new revenue stream from the roaster, ongoing revenue, they could get all of their data, and they never had to go anywhere near a barista. So they thought the customer was one thing. It was completely different. But by that really simple exercise of mapping out the people that were involved and understanding why they're involved and what their uh, their prerogative is, they actually find a way to fund the whole thing and create a brand new revenue stream, which then allowed them to start doing you know equipment as a service and all these great things. And I think that's just a brilliant you know example of quite often as a manufacturer you just look at how your product is used you don't actually look at the route to market or the people who are around that and it's just fascinating if you do it and it's super simple to do in five minutes i love that story in part because my parents uh, own a coffee roaster and i've I, i've never explored that angle of it with them which is pretty interesting um, but it's also just a great example of getting to success in a digital business model However, I've been involved in kind of ideation around digital business models for manufacturers. And I feel like for every one story like that, you have 20 stories of just mapping out all this stuff and never getting to anything that makes sense. So I'm kind of curious what challenges you've noticed that manufacturers experience as they're trying to come up with a business model that makes sense. And what are some of the strategies that companies can use to overcome those? So I think there's there's a couple of things, really. I, I think there are a lot of companies out there spending a lot of time and money on digital that don't need to. You know, they, they should really be bold enough to say, we're doing okay. We have, a, you know, we're in a growing market. Uh, we're already ahead of our competitors. You know, so our products are innovative, maybe not even in a digital way. You know, our products are innovative in some other way. Uh, you know, maybe there's some IP that they own where they can only do it a certain way and they've got protection like that. And digital should not be at the top of the list. You know, it, it should be quite a way down, and they should you know say, look, let's revisit it in two years. Um, and I think that, that you know, there's a lot of companies out there that really struggle with this because the answer actually is don't do it. Um, and because there's so much hype in the market and so many big technical you know technology companies that are telling you it's you know you'll die if you don't do it, that that's a really really bold step to take. But I would encourage leaders of manufacturing companies to, to you know be bold if that's what the data tells you then then do that but i guess assuming there is a good reason for it and you say look you know we're going to move 
the strategy of this business. Let's take an example. You know, we're not going to sell machines anymore in five years. We want to just uh, do as a service machines on the output. You know, we're doing that because we need to create stickiness with our customers and all those things. So assuming you've got the strategy there, I think the, the first thing is what's the least you can do? You know, so think of what's the absolute minimum we can do to achieve a step, you know, and take that phased approach. It might be we're going to take a small margin hit. We're going to put a SIM card in it. We're going to put a little gateway. We're going to take some data and we're just going to understand for two years how our customers use their products. And that's it. That's all we're going to do. That's super easy. You can fund it yourself. You can get on with it straight away. It's great. You know, what you might say, though, is within five years, once we understand how they use their machines, we can then use that data for modeling and we'll see if the business case works to do it as a service model. So I think that phased approach is a really good tool uh, that people often think, I've just got to go and you know, do absolutely everything and finance things and as a service and all that. I just don't think it's that urgent. You know, we talked earlier around how industrials move a bit slower. Um, I think a couple of other challenges that, that people see is this is super expensive. You know, and the the probably the the number one uh, you know challenge here is everybody goes, oh, I've got to partner and I've got to get new talent and my sales team can't quite sell it, so I've got to invest in more salespeople, and they see this massive cost number and they go, well, there's no way that the revenue stream will support that. So instead of listening to themselves and going, well, maybe that is not the right thing for your business, they just try and cut the costs. Oh, maybe we don't need new salespeople. Maybe maybe we could do it ourselves cheaper and we don't need to partner. That's completely the wrong way to look at it. If you can't find a business case that supports it, then don't do it. You know, This is expensive, I think, is the, the second one. So be, be, be really uh, you know, honest with yourselves of, is this a big enough carrot? Because it's going to be some investment. And I think the final thing, uh, I touched on this earlier, in terms of a strategy, it's a bit of a bold one, but... If you believe this is crucial to your business at that very top level, shareholders, board, you know, top tier leadership, absolutely have to go and do digital for this reason. And everybody's bought into that. You have to go and bet the farm. You can't do this halfway because what you'll end up with is something where you go, oh, that only makes money in five years. So let's do something different. And if it's so crucially important to your business, you've got to go and invest. So I think... All of those things to say, should we, should we, should we? But then as soon as you've decided to do it, you've got to jump in with both feet. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I, I actually love that you started out with the idea that some companies just should say no and that you can be bold by saying no to digital. Because actually, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of big tech companies that are that are incentivized to make everyone want to go digital, right? AWS sells more product if they can convince you that digital is the way forward. And it might not actually be the way forward for your business. Um, but what I always strongly for that is, is that you have to make bold strategic moves, whether you're saying no or you're saying yes. And so I wonder for those companies that are thinking about saying yes and making this commitment and spending what they need to spend to do it right, is there a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Because particularly in B2B and manufacturing, there's not that many examples yet of companies that have done this really well. So I'm wondering from your experience, if you can give us an example of a traditional company that has been through this and they've had great results and what did success look like for them? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, certainly the, there's one that's, that's kind of, b2b in the in the coffee machine uh but i don't want to use that example again i think you know if, if you look at some of the the german kind of mitchell stand businesses you know they're typically you know billion euro businesses 
been there, some of them a hundred years, you know, the, the, the maybe third generation, fourth generation, you know, really absolutely the leaders, the, the call the hidden champions for a reason, right? You don't, you don't know who they are, but you realize that they're the best in the industry at it. And I think if you look at what they've done, I think they, they've done a really good job so far of, you know, pragmatic moves forward. Um, and, you know, don't have any specific names, but I think if you look at, you know, some of those in, uh, you know, metal cutting, for example, or, you know, you've got, got some of those guys that are, you know, doing uh, water filtration and things like that. If you actually look at what they're doing, they're, they're actively taking steps to disrupt themselves. So they're saying, well, are people going to buy our water filtration devices that are, you know, 100, 100 million euros? Are they going to keep buying those for the next 50 years? No, probably not. You know, they're probably going to want to buy filtration as a service. So they're saying, well, okay, we don't want to turn the tap off selling these things, but let's start to add in some of the telemetry. You know, so let's start to add in the SIM cards, the data capture, those things. Maybe put a level of anomaly detection on there so we can really understand, is our device working as we think it is? And obviously, because they're so expert in that market, they know. So they can take that data and really quickly go, oh, our products are great, or, you know, there's some problem here. And what they're using them for at the moment, they're using that data to actually make the products better. So they're getting data of how the products are in the field, and that's how they justify that cost. But when the time comes, when customers are very used to uh, saying, you know, okay, we, we, we're ready, you know, we're not going to do that 100 million investment, we want to do something a bit different, they're in a much further position. So I, I would just, you know, have some caution in saying, there aren't these massive success stories of, you know, 100 million devices rolled out and all of that. I completely agree. But I think you know, don't underestimate the stepping stones that some of the leaders are taking to prepare themselves for that, even if that's in 20 years' time. I think so, so you know, that, that's one example. And I think, you know, to give you an example from the industry that, that I'm in at the moment, you know, we had a large retail customer in the UK, uh, you know, talk to us last week and said, we've just realized after COVID, we've realized that we never buy our buildings. You know, we always rent our stores. They have a couple of thousand stores, right? We always rent our stores. But why do we always put the kit in them? So we buy all of the cooling kit. We buy all of the controls kit. We buy the tills that go in there. We buy the conveyor belts. Why? You know, it makes no sense. We don't buy the building, but we buy everything else. And they've now made a strategic decision to say, we're going to buy everything as a service. So the next time we open a new store and we rent the store, we're going to have everything as a service. Um, and you know, some businesses are ready for that, but if you're a market leader that sells air conditioning systems and you've not even started on this journey yet, and suddenly that tide turns, you know, the people that started on the journey and are ready, they might have a bit of a scramble to get there, but they will be able to service that customer need. The people that have gone, well, it's not for us, or it's too hard, or we're failing, or all those things, they're, they're going to be left for dead, right? So I think baby steps, absolutely. Um, you know, as, as marketeers, look for that. So look for the rhetoric, try and cut through some of the, the buzzwords and the fluff and try and read some of the, you know, smaller companies that are saying, well, we've done this as a foundational step, or this is what we've done set out on our long-term journey and, and, and try and, you know, take some, uh, you know, take some solace in that really, rather than looking for the big success stories. Cause this is still an early market with B2B. I think that's really good advice. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit because most of our listeners on this podcast are marketers at industrial companies. So I'm wondering, from your perspective, what role do you think marketing needs to play when it comes to building and launching digital products? So I think there's two answers to this. Um, you know, from a high level, I think it's a really hard job. Um, you know, I think to to be building a brand or 
you know, differentiating your brand in, in digital is hard. And I think that's because you've got so many people out there saying that, you know, right up to the edge of lying, basically, you know, they're saying we're doing this and all of these things. And when you actually talk to them, they're not doing that, you know, so they're, they're, they're being a bit disingenuous. But the problem industrial marketers have is, you know, you, you can do these things and you're telling the truth, but how do you cut through that? So I think that's the first one. And I think it, there's, I don't want to say educate customers because I think that's a really dangerous place to be in is trying to create a market. But I think really helping customers understand how I can benefit from it. Everybody's telling me the benefits. You know, everywhere you look, this is what you can get, reduce cost, higher uptime, all of these things. But customers very rarely get told, and this is how you can go and take advantage of it. So I think from from that way is you work from a customer's perspective, you understand your customers very well. So it's, you know, how can we go and explain to them, these are the steps you need to take for you to get the benefits that everybody else is shouting about. I think that will differentiate you. But I think in terms of digital and the business models, I'm probably one of the few people that say marketing are in charge. You know, I think the first bit is, of course, the strategic direction of the business, you know, right from the top, as I've said, you know, we are going to change into selling equipment to the service. That that might be it because that's what your shareholders want. But from then, I think the whole product thing turns on its head. I think it's marketing that say, well, to get where we want to be in three years, this is what we have to tell the market. You know, we're going to hit them every week, every month. So these guys are just wow, this company's coming for us. You know, the, I think marketing has to be in the driving seat to say, in three months, we need to launch a partnership with these people so they see we were serious. In six months, we have to have a demo ready. And, you know, and it's, it's marketing driving the product release and the roadmap, which is, I think, very, very different from where uh, maybe a traditional industrial says, oh, we've got this new product, can you go market it? Um, I think marketing needs to be in charge. And I think... Um, you know, very, very important to do that while not confusing customers. But the the timeline of the entire business is, is on marketing shoulders, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you said that because I think when you're looking at fundamentally changing a business model, and, and this is not something that I think in manufacturers are used to, right? I think for a very long time, manufacturers have been able to iterate on the existing business model and launch incremental improvements. And now that we're getting into these technologies that could enable you to go sell to a completely different kind of customer, to to charge them for your service in a completely different kind of way, and you're using completely different enabling technologies, there has to be really strong foundational marketing at the core of that. And it's going to, I believe, change the role of marketing within industrial companies. And it's going to mean that you have to have probably better, more capable marketing talent than you've ever had before in industrial companies. I'm wondering, in general, how you think the rise of digital products and business models is going to change the role of marketing going forward. Well, I think exactly what you just said. I think it all becomes marketing-led. And I think that's that's super scary for a lot of other people. You know, maybe a you know, CTO or somebody's always been in charge of that roadmap and said, oh, these are the features that we like and I've spoken to customers and all the rest of it. And I think if you then have, you're in a business that has publicly said it's going to change, you know, everybody's going, yeah, and everybody says that. You know, that, that's, there's just going to be a complete suspicion uh, and probably an apathy when somebody else comes out and says, we're going to do as a service or we're going to do digital products or we're going to benefit our customers. Everybody's saying that. So marketing's then on the back foot. But you've got to go and you absolutely reliably, month on month for the long term, really go and prove to them that you've got that. So, you know, 
the, the marketeer is really the uh, the puppet master, right? You're coordinating everything across the business. You know the partnerships, the people, the the sales, you know the products, all of those things. Because if you drop the ball, you just lose all credibility in what you're doing, and you become everybody else, which is exactly what you're trying to avoid. So you're already on the back foot, and then you've got to execute really, really reliably to that marketing plan. So I think you know more senior people, perhaps. I think. What what I'm certainly seeing is marketeers coming from business backgrounds. You know, people are going, oh, I didn't see myself as a marketeer, but actually, I can tell a story really well, and I know what we need to do to get that credibility. So I think you know that that's great to say that I think it'll be a growing discipline. Um, I, I think you know, on top of that, you know, having this transformation in the business, you know, relies on absolute senior buy-in. We've talked about that so many times today, and I think how often. Is marketing maybe seen as an afterthought or it's those guys in creative that build some nice slide decks or things like that? And I think it needs to be empowered. So the empowerment of, uh, you know, the senior marketing people is is very, very important. And I think it, it all just comes back to marketing is at the front of it. And you've got to convince your customers and to an extent your peers, uh, you know, and put your competitors on notice that you will succeed. Why will you succeed when so many other people have failed? And I think when you actually look at the complexity of that, it's really hard. Um, but if you look at then how exciting that is for, for marketeers in industrials, I think it's one of the best places to be because, you know, it's an emerging market. It's something that everything's really ahead of us. And I think the best people uh, will, will really, you know, the best companies will really invest in that. Um, and, you know, an exciting time to be in marketing. I agree. It's a very exciting time to be in marketing. And just building on that thought, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people other than just you and I that look at all of the transformation that is yet to come in the industrial world and how much marketing has to take a leadership role in driving that. And they're thinking this could be a great opportunity. You could absolutely build a career around that. So I'm curious for those people who are looking at this as a great opportunity and thinking, I want to take advantage of it. What are some of the hard skills and the soft skills you think that marketers need to go out and get to be successful? And what's your advice for them to go out and build those skills to be successful? I think the, the, the really important skill here, which I, I'm not sure how many, you know, classic, uh, you know, marketing courses would, would really touch on, if you will, is firstly, understanding the customer's problem very, very clearly. And I don't mean by, you know, the customer has a problem because their machines break and they can't produce their kit, right? I mean, that, that's that's pretty simple. But I, I mean, really understand your customer from a, what are their pressures? What are they trying to achieve in, as an organization? What do their shareholders want? What are their risks? You know, so almost doing the entire marketing plan for your customer in your mind is, is hard, right? And you, you need to be skilled at that. So I think really, you know, any... Uh, information, you know, any courses or training or anything that really talks through, you know, analyzing the business and looking at the, the forces on a business and why people do certain things. Because unless you understand that, it's going to be really hard to get your messaging right, you know, for your customer. I think the, the second thing, and we, we talked on it with that five minute, uh, you know, exercise of drawing out the different things, you know, really building on understanding your industry. You know, it's it's so easy to say, oh, I'm, I'm in marketing because I'm great at messages. But unless you really understand the industry, you're not ever going to put a proposition together that works, you know, because you, you'll miss out a crucial thing or, you know, you, you'll start telling people that you find this great solution. And then, you know, somebody uh, who knows the industry will point out the flaw. So I think it's really understanding, you know, I'm in this industry, do as much reading 
and spend much time with the people that you might consider, you know, the laggards or maybe the people that you'd say, well, you know, they've, they've been around 50 years. What would they know about this stuff? But until you understand that foundation, I don't think you can move forward. Um, in terms of, you know, I'm sure people are saying, well, this sounds great, but you know, what's my next step? You know, my, my advice in terms of, you know, resources and things would be try and ignore the the white papers and the commentary and the websites of the big tech people. You know, they're doing a great job. You know, Amazon and you know Cisco and all those guys. You know, I was in Cisco. I think they've got one of the best marketing operations I've seen. You know, great respect for those guys. But fundamentally, their job is to create new markets for the next fifty years. Probably not that helpful to you in the short term when you're going. How do I help my business? What do I do? I'd say look at some of the companies that are talking about success stories. You know, I, I spent some time in Relayer, uh, R-E-L-A-Y-R. You know, look at their website. Look at some of the videos they've done with their customers, where their customers are explaining, "I'm a traditional business. This is why I'm doing it." You know, so d- don't look at it for for their website, if you will. Look at it for the customer stories and and understand that. And I think look at your uh, your peers in other industries, perhaps, and say, what trade webinars are going on? You know, maybe things you would never normally join, but people talking about the force in the industry, how things are going to change. I get some of my best insight from, you know, going to completely different industries and joining webinars with 15 people on them and listening to the questions, listening to the worries of those customers and saying, yeah, but I, I've heard this or this will change or can I afford that? And I think that's that's going to be as as, as, you know, as valuable, if not more, than reading, you know, a, a white paper from a consultant that you know is forward-looking to 2050, and you know it's a great read, but actually you sit back and go, "How does that help me in my job?" You know, it, it's quite hard. So that'd be some of my advice there. Awesome. So I just want to end with one final question, which is: if there's one takeaway you'd like people to walk away from this episode with, what would that be? I would say don't push on a closed door. You know, sit back, take 10 minutes, you know, tomorrow morning or in the evening or, you know, whenever you have that and sit back and go, can I succeed? You know, if you're you're in a business that says it needs to change, if you've been tasked with driving the marketing effort for this new digital thing, ask yourself the question of, is this coming from the top? Have we really decided where we want to be as a business and how this directly aligns? Because I think there's nothing more crushing than working extremely hard and learning and learning all these things. And then in a year, looking back and going, well, I could never succeeded. And I think that's the most important thing. The best 10 minutes you'll spend probably this week is just sitting back and going, are we actually aligned? Or is this a little side project? Is this just a marketing exercise to you know, work out a few tweets? Or is this business 100% committed to changing the way it says? And therefore, if I work really hard and I get smart people around me, I can succeed. That would be my takeaway. Awesome. This has been an episode with John Clifford. He is the CEO and co-founder of Learned, L-E-A-R-N-D. You can find him on LinkedIn. And this was the Industrial Marketer Podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave us a review if you like the show. And thank you for listening.